number of years ago, we moved to Midland, Texas from Brownwood, Texas. I don't know if that was an upgrade or not, but it was, it was moving from one uh, part of the state to the other. And when we got there, we found this amazing church called Mid-Cities Community. We got involved in that church. The first Sunday we were there, Faith, our daughter, was very tiny. And so, Annette, I wanted to go to their new orientation class, new members type class, and, and I didn't mention anything to us. This is the first church, second church we visited, and, but I didn't mention anything about joining the church. I just wanted to go see what the church was about. We walked in, and on the back wall, it said, every nation in our generation. I thought, that's a pretty big mission statement. I thought, that, that might be something I want to be a part of. So, we went to, I went to the new members orientation thing, and and I called Annette from the church and said, hey, guess what? We just joined this church. She's like, what? I said, I know. I couldn't help myself. I was excited about the mission and everything. We got involved in this church and fell in love with the pastor and his wife and obviously people from that church and got really involved playing on the worship team, just jumping in. And we got invited to go to a conference. And it was a conference that was, uh, they did these regional conferences. This one was in Austin, Texas. And they would gather people from all over the United States, and this place was packed. So we go into this conference center in Austin, and we go into the back of the room, and I mean, it's jam-packed, there's energy, there's music blazing, the worship was off the, just off the hook, it was amazing. And as we walk in, I mean, there's like no seats, so we kind of try to make our way up towards the front, and they have the whole front section roped off. No access. We're like, ah, you got to understand, I've got the attention span of a gnat. You probably figured that out by now. And uh, what squirrel, you know, I mean, just whatever, bug, whatever, just anything. And so I need to be at the front of anything I'm a part of or I'm not engaged. I mean, you folks in the back, I don't know how you do it. Kudos to you. But I kid you not, the anointing only goes four rows back, so you may be missing something. <laughs> but I want to get a little closer up. So I was really bummed out because the last thing I need to be sitting in is a room full of new people with new everything and not really knowing what's going on because it was going to make for a long day for me. So I was kind of bummed. And as we were kind of they're having the worship is going, people are man, just up and about. It's really exciting. And, but we're way at the back. And, and a guy, one of the pastors sitting on the front row, he was our pastor, Kevin York, he turns around and he catches my eye. And he sees me, and he gets his big smile on his face, and with his arm, he does like this. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone waved at you, and you waved back, and then it wasn't you they were waving at. <laughs> Am I the only one who suffered that humiliation? <laughs> happened recently to me. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm 12 again, and just still in junior high. So, so when he did that, we were kind of like going, us, and then, you know, we were looking around, and he's like, yeah, come on, you know, you're still the, I mean, would that not be the most horrific thing to show up on the front row, and he wasn't talking to you, right? So finally, after a while, and he wearing himself out, we're like, I think he's talking to us, so we went up to the front row, and we were granted access to the front row as we sat down with Kevin and his wife, Renee, just on the other side of him was the president of the whole movement, Rice Brooks, and others, and we were like, Somehow, some way, we got invited to the front. Somehow, some way, there was favor that opened up for us and access was granted. And I'm telling you, I went from being bummed out on the back row to whatever this movement offers, I want to be a part because I'm in. You ever felt that way? Let me ask you this Have you ever felt on the out? 
Have you ever felt like you were at a place where there was no access? You couldn't get in. You couldn't get to the front. And it's a terrible feeling. But here's what I want you to know. And this is where I just, I am like about to come off the hinges here. So if I just get preachy today and excited, bear with me. I can't help myself. Because when I think about the access that has been granted me in Jesus Christ, when I think about the fact that there is no rope, there is no tape, there is no crime scene tape that keeps me from getting through, there's no barrier, there's nothing, there's no big buff dude stopping me from getting to him. When I think about that, how can I not be excited? How can I not be, oh my gosh, I'm accepted. I have access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I have access to the throne room. If you picture those old medieval movies, you know, where they've got the long corridor, unlike the Wizard of Oz, but I'm talking about the, the long corridor where the king's sitting on a throne, and there's, there's knights, and there's swords, and there's guards, and there's pomp and circumstance, and and you just you go down that hall with fear and trembling because of how awesome the king is presented. Let me tell you something about our king. All of that's true. But when we walk down that hall, he stands and says, come on. Come sit at the front. Come on right here with me. And we're like, really? Me? Are you sure? Little old me? And God says, come on. In fact, I'm going to let you sit at my right hand. In fact, because you're with Jesus, you have an all-access pass to my presence. In fact, I want you to sit at the place of favor. I want you to sit at the place of blessing. I want you to sit at the place of authority. You're in my son. That means you're all in. And I'm going to tell you something. This is what Paul is trying to get through to us through the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, let's shift gears for a moment. The book of Ephesians was not a letter of correction. Some of his letters were. We looked at Colossians this summer when we talked about identified, where he had to correct some issues. But the book that was written, the letter that was written to the Ephesian believers was actually a letter which in a very real sense was his manifesto. It was like his last words. Paul knew, he was sitting in a Roman prison cell and knew this might be the last thing that I get out, so I'm going to send out what's called a circular letter, which means it had the title to the Ephesians in the greeting, but it was meant to be circulated about all the churches in Asia there. That would have been Philippi, Colossae, Corinth. All of those churches were going to read that same letter. Paul, knowing that he might die. By the way, he died within one to three years of writing that letter, and it actually happened. He was martyred in that Roman prison. And here's what he did. Can you imagine that if you knew that these are the last words I may ever write or say, this is the last thing that I'll ever be able to say to the world and to the churches that I've raised up. This is it. Don't you think he probably thought through what he put in that letter? Don't you think he probably put a lot of weight and a lot of gravity into those words? When I read the book of Ephesians, I read it with that mindset. This is a man who knew this might be the last thing he has to say in his life. And I think he probably weighed out every line. So we're taking a journey through the book of Ephesians, and already we're learning so much, and it's already opened so much to who we are and whose we are as sons of God. 
as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We learned last week that we have been raised up together, seated in Christ. I'll go back over to the throne. Seated in Christ in heavenly places. We learned in in Ephesians chapter 1 that Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father, the place of favor, the place of authority, the place of blessing. And we are seated in Christ. And the Scripture goes on to say that means that you are not just above, but far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. By the way, those are reference to demonic hierarchies. We're talking about the darkest dark in the world. You, my friend, if you are in Jesus Christ, you're actually seated not only above it, but far above it. Someone say far above. Far above above all principality, power, might, and dominion. And then it says this, that all things are under Jesus' feet. Where are we seated? In Jesus. What does that mean about the circumstances of your life? They are under your feet. You are not under the circumstances. You ever hear that phrase? Well, under the circumstances, I'm doing okay. No, wait a minute. If you're a child of God, you were never under the circumstances. You are far above them. Amen? That's what we've learned so far. There's the introduction. We're going to keep going. Listen to this. Let's pray before we do. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm asking that you would awaken us to true spiritual revival. Awaken us to the truth that already is Christ in us, the hope, the joyful and confident expectation of your glory, your manifested presence. Open our eyes to the truth of what is. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. They give you the definition. We talked about it last time. Awaken means to become fully conscious, alert, or aware of something. I love this. It means to stir up. To stir up. I have to tell you, when I was in a multicultural church, when we talked about stirring up, we would actually start stirring stuff up. There's this sense in which when you're stirring something up, that means you're getting ready for something. You guys, when you went on your first date with the one you married, do you think you might have stirred yourself up a little bit before you met her at the door? Do you think if you're going into a meeting with with your superiors, with your supervisor, you you might need to stir yourself up before you go in? Do you think that maybe you got to get yourself ready? I played sports all through high school and, and junior high, and I'm telling you, before game, we would stir ourselves up by listening to Boston Don't Look Back. I'm just saying We knew how to get ourselves stirred up. There's this awakening, this stirring up, and I love this. It means to activate. I'm praying dangerous prayers for all of us, including me, that, Lord, open my eyes, awaken me, stir me up to the truth that is that Christ is in me, working in me, mightily in me, and through me and wants to change the world through me. I get to participate in it. Awaken me. Awaken our people. Awaken our family. Awaken my brothers and sisters. Open our eyes to the truth that is that they are not under the circumstances. They're not who they used to be. They're now who they are becoming in Jesus Christ. The God who sees the end from the beginning sees you as you are being the finished work of Jesus Christ. Just because we have the sign on the wall that says, that was a cue. Thank you. No perfect people allowed. It's invisible, by the way, but it's there. Just because we have a sign on the wall that says that doesn't mean we're not being perfected and in process. 
Though He sees us the end from the, He knows where we're going. He knows the end from the beginning, and that's how he sees us. However, we're in the process of sanctification. There's a big word for you, and that means we're being trained in righteousness. He's training us how to live this life. Don't think pain is a waste. Don't think suffering is a waste. God uses it as a tool to train us for righteousness, to train us to rule and reign in life. Amen? That's who we are. That's who you are. So moving right along, I want to jump in, and I'm going to pull a complete switcheroo on our team back there. I'm going to tell you where to go. We're going to go all the way to slide number 12. How's that for being fancy and smooth? Sit in the show, folks. So here's what it says. Let's break this down. Okay, next one. Next, go ahead and put it up there. You're almost there. You're so close. I can, it's like, there it is. So I read the passage that we're going to look at today, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to the end of the passage, and I read it in the ESV. That's the English Standard Version, which is a good, great scholarly translation, but a little bit wooden. It's a little bit stiff. So I wanted to break it down into the New Century Version, which Max Lucado actually introduced me into, and I actually love that translation, and I love the reading of this. It's a little more casual, a little more colloquial, but much clearer in the reading. So we're going to pick up there instead of spending our whole first time on that. So next verse. Now we're going to look at verse chapter, or Ephesians 2, verse 11. Are you with me? Are you with me? Yes. Somebody talk back to me. Come on, talk to me. Are you with me? Yes. All right, now we can go forward. Here we go. You were not born Jewish. Paul, as he addresses the Ephesians, says this, you're not Jewish. And they're like, oh, duh, that's right. But he's got a reason for saying it. He says, you are the people the Jews call uncircumcised. There's another word for that. Anybody know? Starts with a G. Gentiles. You're Gentiles. You're, they were considered unclean because they were not circumcised. They were not numbered among the people of God. He says, those who call you uncircumcised call themselves circumcised. Their circumcision is only something they themselves do on their bodies. He's just, he's setting up what he's about to say. So don't get too bogged down in that. And then in the next verse, 12, remember. Now this is where it gets weighty. Remember we're weighing these words because there's gravity to these words. It's just before he died. He says this, remember that in the past you were without Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember when you were without Christ? I do. And that's part of the reason I'm so stinking passionate about the kingdom right now. Because I know who I was before Jesus. I know where I was before Christ. And I know where I was going until Jesus, because of his love and his grace, interrupted my life. And I'm grateful for it. So when I look back beyond before I became a follower of Jesus, before I was saved, before I was born again, all I can do is say, thank you, Jesus. He's saying, remember that in the past you were without Christ. Can you remember that time? Some of us need to remind ourselves more often lest we become too critical and judgmental on the world. Amen? That's the truth in love. We have a tendency to talk about the world out there. The world out there. My Bible tells me that God so loved the world out there. He loves them. And that He is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God for the world. He doesn't disdain the world. Why should we? Amen? 
I'm thankful that when I was in the world and not in Christ, that there were people along the way that came and shared the gospel with me. And some of them I mocked to their face. And I'm ashamed of that. I've been forgiven. Hallelujah. I'm free. But it bothers me how I treated some people who tried to bring me the best news that I would ever hear in my eternity. And I'm ashamed of how I treated them when they tried to bring me life and hope and love. But God, finally, finally. Remember that in the past you were without Christ. You were not citizens of Israel, and you had no part in the agreements and the covenants with the promise that God made to his people. He's just simply saying, you Ephesians, you're over here in Asia. You have nothing to do with Jerusalem over there. And Israel, you're a completely separate people. They call you uncircumcised, dirty Gentiles. He's saying that's who you were, and you were apart from Christ. He says this, you had no hope, and you did not know God. So he's setting it up to say, this is who you used to be. Remember, we talked about this last week. You used to be this, but now in Christ, you're this. Remember? Guess what? Paul is beating the drum, and he's not stopping. His foot is on the accelerator, and he is in overdrive. He is not taking his foot off the gas pedal here. He's saying, this is who you used to be, and this is who you are now. Now, i got to say something. There are people here today that are absolutely right now buried up to their eyeballs in addictive behavior. Sitting in this room right now, you're covering it, you're hiding it, it's manageable, you think. It's, but here's the thing. If you right now are struggling with addictive behavior, I want to say something. First of all, you are loved. I want you to know something. You are loved. God loves you, and your behavior is not going to separate you from him. It may break your fellowship, but it will not break your relationship. God loves you that much that if you're securely in the palm of his hand, you can be a knucklehead today, and he'll love you right through it. I want you to know that. But here's the thing. You are not defined by your addiction. You are not defined by your behavior. You are not defined by your failures. You are not defined by your slip-ups, your mishaps, your missteps. You're not defined by your mistakes. You're not defined by what you did last week, last night, last year, 15 years ago, by the decision that changed the trajectory of your life That does not have to define you today. Why? Because in Jesus, you have been made complete. Wait a minute, but I'm still failing. I'm still making mistakes. doesn't matter. You're seated in Christ in heavenly places right now, far above all this stuff. See, it's hard to wrap our minds around because it's such a, a mind bender to think, I'm positionally in Christ, but I am practically right here. I'm down here on this earth, and I'm failing. But God says, I'm positionally in Christ. What does that bring up? It brings up a conundrum, and here it is. There's a difference between facts and truth. Here's what a fact is. A fact is temporary and subject to change. Did you hear that? A fact is something that is temporary and subject to change. It may be in, and that it is for the moment, but it's temporary and subject to change. Truth is is eternal and never changes. My question for you is, is your addiction a fact or a truth? I would lean towards fact because here's the truth. You are beloved. 
And the same power that raised Jesus from the grave, the same resurrection power that lifted the sin off of your life, still is lifting the sin off your life. You're like, oh, whoa, Pastor Jimmy, if you tell people that, you're giving them permission to sin like I need to give anybody permission to sin. Really? Is that your argument against grace, against the power of God to cut through the mess of life and touch a person where they live? That's your argument? That I'm going to somehow give you permission? Let me tell you what I'm giving you permission to do. I'm giving you permission to live. Because of the goodness of God and the grace of Jesus Christ. So if you're buried up to your eyeballs in addictive behavior right now, first of all, welcome to the human race. Because every one of us struggles at some level or another with addictive behavior. Why? Because we live in a fallen world, friends. The world we live in right now is a mere shadow. It's a copy of a copy. I don't know if you, back when we used fax machines and I worked with the state of Texas in the child care industry, we would get a fax of a fax of a fax, and by the time I got it 20 times, you couldn't even read the bottom print. What is that? It's because it's lost resolution over repetition. Listen, you are not who the devil says you are and who your behavior tries to tell you you are. You are not defined by that. The creator defines the creation. And the truth, not the fact, the truth is is that you are a child of God and that you are beloved right here, right now, in this moment. And you may be in the darkest place of your life, but you are loved. And you say, Pastor Jimmy, that's not fair. No, it's not, but it is God. Well, it's not right. Well, maybe it doesn't feel right to you, but it is just because it's God. Who are we the created to tell the creator how to run this, this show down here? See, if it was up to us, we would have crucified each other already, right? We've already done it mentally, probably, with our sanctified, our non-sanctified imaginations, right? But can you imagine a loving God who says, hey, clear the court, my son's coming down. And the court says, wait a minute, your son's a reprobate, your son's a, a prodigal, your son's messed up. What, is, what does God say? Oh, no, Jesus is with him. He has full access. Part, and you see, can you just picture that medieval hall with all those swords and angels all just parting the way because Jesus is escorting that reprobate, that mess up, that person who keeps having a miss. God's escort, or Jesus himself is escorting him into the presence of the Father. That is who you are. When are you going to stop beating yourself up? When are you going to quit? God quit beating you up the moment you said yes to Jesus. By the way, he was never beating you up before then either. The enemy loves to masquerade around as, a, as an angel of light. So you'll think you're... But let me tell you something. God's not beating you up. Why are you? Can we just get honest enough to say, Father, we've missed it. I've missed it. So I'm coming before you as a son. But I'm coming before you because you're a good father. And the truth is, not the fact, the truth is that you love me 
that you see the end from the beginning and you know, you see, you see the finished work. There's a reason I had Tetelestai tattooed on my arm that will be with me the rest of my life till this body rots in a grave. It means it is finished. It was the last words of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. I want to remind myself every day that I'm a son of the Most High God and that He is, I am operating out of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Finished. Complete. Listen to what the Scripture says. It says, you did not know God. You had no hope and you didn't know God. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away from God, look, are brought near through the blood of Christ's death. In other words, we used to be over here, far away. Some of you still feel far away from God, but here's the deal. That's not the truth. That's a fact. That's a fact that's in your mind. You are not far from God. If you stepped over the line, I don't care if you were five years old or 55, if you've stepped over the line and said, I accept Jesus Christ, I accept what he did for me on the cross, I declare he's my Savior and the Lord of my life, and you were baptized and you followed him, but then you completely crashed and burned, I want you to know something. He loves you so much he has you in his hand. And he is not letting go. John 10, read it yourself. Who's going to snatch you out of the hand of God? Who's big enough? Who's your daddy? Who's big enough to do that? That's right. So it says this. Now in Christ you were brought near through the blood. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 14. Christ himself is our peace. Christ isn't just doesn't give us peace. He is our peace. The one who escorts you into the throne room of grace into the throne room of Almighty God. He is peace walking with you. He doesn't just give you peace. He is. It's his very identity. You know what the word peace is? It's Irania in the Greek, but it's the shadow word or the, or the same word as used in Hebrew, which is the word shalom. You ever heard that before? Shalom. You know what it means? It means nothing missing, nothing broken, whole complete. Jesus is our peace. He is our shalom. And you are seated in him, which means you are in the place of nothing missing, nothing broken, complete and whole. Do you know that's where you are right now? You say, well, I don't feel that way. Well, what are you going to believe? The report of the Lord, what the scripture says, truth that's eternal, or your temporary circumstance? Which will you believe? It almost sounds like it takes faith to do this, doesn't it? Isn't that crazy? It almost sounds like we have to have faith to believe something that maybe is not so apparent because it's like, oh my gosh, it's a little bit outside of what I can see. It's a little bit outside of what I can put in a test tube. It's a little bit outside of what I can spin out in a centrifuge because it's just a little bit outside of my grasp. That's where faith comes in. I'm going to tell you how to stir your faith up in just a moment because some of us need an increase of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God or that literally means the message of Christ, which is the good news of Jesus, which is exactly what we're preaching here. Jesus and the good news. He's our peace. He made both Jewish people and those who are not Jews one. They were separated as if they were a wall between them, but Christ broke down that wall of hate. Boy, don't you like that? 
Christ kicks down the walls of hate. Do you think that could apply in our time? To what's going on in our world right now. Kicks down the walls of hate. Breaks them down. He broke it down by giving his own body. Verse 15. The Jewish law had many commands and rules. Do you know there were over 900? Over 900. Can you imagine carrying that, that tablet around? 900 laws and rules that if you broke anyone, you were in violation of the covenant and you had to sacrifice actual life, a lamb, a bird. You had to actually spill blood in order to be, have remission from that sin. The Jewish law had 900 commands and rules, but Christ. Remember we talked about but God last week? We're saying but Jesus this week. But Jesus showed up. And look what he did with those rules and those commands, which, by the way, no one could ever do because it was actually designed for you to fail. Sounds like a cruel experiment, doesn't it? Wait a minute, God, you'd give us 900 plus rules? Well, God didn't, actually. The Pharisees came up with most of those. But even the commands that we read in the laws of Leviticus, even those, we are incapable of doing it. And that is exactly what the law was designed to do, to show us that we cannot do it on our own. So God brings the plan in. It's called Jesus. He's called Jesus Messiah. Look what happens. He says this, the Jewish had law had many commands, but Christ ended that law. Another way to say it is he completed that law. He fulfilled it. His purpose was to make the two groups of people become one new people in him and in this way make pay, peace. The good news here is, is that now there is no wall between Jew and Gentile and the covenants of promise that were given to the Jewish people. Remember in uh, Genesis 15, and you will be a blessing and you'll be blessed to be a blessing and all the families in the earth shall be blessed because of you. What is that? That's the Abrahamic covenant. And guess what? That is now your covenant because the wall has been broken down. Oh, my gosh. We could just jump into Deuteronomy chapter 28, which I'm going to quote in just a minute. His purpose was to make two groups of people become one and in this way make peace. Verse 16, it was also Christ's purpose to end the hatred between the two groups. We just saw that again. He kicked down the walls to make them into one body and to bring them back to God. Christ did all this with his death on the cross. Verse 17, Christ came and preached shalom. He came and preached, nothing missing, nothing broken, whole, complete, finished. To you who were far away from God, that would be us who were Gentiles, and to those who were near to God, the Jews, he preached the same thing to both groups. And then verse 18, yes, it is through Christ we all have the right to come to the Father in one spirit. Verse 19, now you who are not Jewish are not foreigners or strangers any longer. You are not on the outside looking in, my friends. Hallelujah. You are not. In fact, you have access. And just like Pastor Kevin York invited me to the front row and Annette to the front row, you have been invited to the front row because you now have access. You're not a stranger. You're not a foreigner. You are, and we're going to read it in just a moment. I'm going to tell you. You're, it says you're no longer strangers but are citizens together with God's holy people. Here it is. You belong to God's family. You are in. You are in. That's shouting ground right there. You are in. 
All right. You are like a building that was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the most important stone in that building. The, the, another translation says he's the cornerstone. And that whole building is joined together in Christ. He makes it grow and become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Christ, verse 22, and in Christ, you too are being built together with the Jews into a place where God lives the Spirit. In other words, what he's saying is that Jesus himself, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, he's going through history and saying everything that's happened has led up to this moment. God says, I am building a house which will be a dwelling place of my spirit. And he says, you're that house. Do something for me. This will be awkward. I know we don't like to participate here. Just say, that's me. I'm that house. Just say it. I'm that house. I'm that house. What we're doing, we're lining up with truth. We're lining up with truth, not facts. In facts, I could say, I'm a train wreck. I'm one hot mess. But in the truth is, I'm a house of God. I'm a dwelling place of the Spirit of God. That's who I am. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. That's who I am, and that's what he wants to do. Let me give you this quote. Listen to this. It's from John Lynch from a book called The Cure, which is absolutely, Diana, wherever you are, has wrecked me, wrecked me. It's wrecked me so much I can't finish the book. Have you ever had a book like that where you keep reading the same paragraph over and over, thinking I should probably keep moving, but it's so good I can't. He says this, we now live as intimate friends of Jesus. You're not on the outside looking in. You're family. We're comfortable in his presence. We're done beating ourselves up. We want to be with him, and our heart is free to respond, driven less and less by shame. We mature into a dependence on the Holy Spirit and walk into the purposes of God the Father. We naturally respond to life out of our new Christ heart. Our past wounds identify us less and less each day. We receive our destiny from God's hand. Could somebody say amen? Amen. This is who we are becoming. This is the process of sanctification. And this is what Paul was leading up to as he continues to take us through this letter called Ephesians. Now I want to give you the last part. I gave you the wow. Let's talk about the how. We'll land with this. Fill in the blank. We were. Personalize it. I was. I was. What are all the labels that have been put on your life over the years? What are the labels you've put on your own life? I mean, just recently, I did something silly, and I said, oh, you idiot. And I went, wait a minute. I'm a guy who teaches on identity, and it just came out of me. Like, ah. Then I was mad at myself for saying that. Self-hatred kicked in. I had to go through a whole deliverance session myself <laughs> just over doing something silly. It's like, ah. It's like, a, oh, it was the, the flesh has to be trained and trained and trained and trained. And that's the journey we're on. So what were you? But look at this. Now we are. Now I am. Now I am. And let me give you just a little foretaste of that. I've got these bookmarks. They're available for you. They're from Bill Loveless. 
of Christ's life. They're right there on the corner of the stage. Please come get one afterwards. Here's what he did. He took all the in Christ statements in the scripture and he just put them all in and so all the scriptures are there and he just put them on a bookmark so you could quickly access the word of God and actually speak the Bible, speak the word over your life. By the way, you want to know how? This is the wow. We just got the wow. Oh my gosh, I'm all this. But how do we remind ourselves and renew our mind to that? By speaking and declaring truth, not facts, but truth. We say it. We declare it. We speak the life. Mark chapter 11 says you'll have whatsoever you say, whatsoever you speak. So you can take this bookmark and do this. If you don't know how to quote the word, you don't have a lot of word on your head, in your mind right now, just go with this. In Christ, I am righteous and holy. I am unconditionally loved. I am confident. I am fearless. I am adequate. I'm worthy. I'm humble. I'm free. I'm free. I'm going to stick on that one for a moment. I am free. I am more than a conqueror. I am accepted and acceptable. I am a forgiven person. It just goes on and on and on. How about this? I am joyful. Somebody remind themselves of that right now, please. Help me out, somebody. I am joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful. I'm a joint heir with Christ. This goes on and on. And all this is is lining up your thoughts with the truth of Scripture. Are we, let me ask a question, are we people of the Word? And we need to get the word on our mouth. The word works, but you have to learn to work the word. The Bible itself, in speaking of the word of God, says it is a weapon and it's part of your armor. It is the sword of the spirit. We'll cover that in Ephesians 6 later. So we'll land the plane with this. How? Awakening to access is realized by declaring God's truth over your life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to end with a song. Awakening to access is realized by declaring God's truth over your life. Not the facts, but the truth. Speak life. Speak the word. So how? All right, PJ, that's great, Pastor Jay. What do you mean? How do I do it? Here's how I do it. When I'm feeling under the circumstances, when I'm having a day, anybody ever have days? Just a day. You don't even have to tell somebody what it is. How are you doing? I'm having a day. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy, I got you there. I, you don't have to describe what that is because we all know what a day means, right? We all have days, months. <laughs> Sometimes we just have tough times. Here's what I do. I find myself, I turn the cab of my truck into a cathedral. I turn it into a worship center. Or maybe the shower because it reverberates, sounds really good in there. Or I do it walking through the house, or I do it walking down, up and down the halls of this place, or in this room. I'll co- Wherever I find myself under the circumstances, fact, I have to get to the truth that I'm over it, and here's what I do. I start, I start with, with Deuteronomy chapter 28. You should check out the first 14 verses. The last 14 are pretty scary, but the front 14, amazing. Listen to these promises. Now, remember, I have now been grafted into the vine. I'm now, there's no wall between Jew and Gentile. The promises that are the Jews in the Old Covenant are now my promises in Christ. That means I can declare Deuteronomy chapter 28 over my life, and here's how it goes. I say this, well, according, to the God, according to God's word, and I'll just, I'll just going to do it like I do it. Father, in the name of Jesus, that name that is above all name, the name by which every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess, that Jesus Christ 
is Lord. It's in that name and under that authority that I come before you as a son, seated at the right hand of the Father, seated in Christ, far above all demonic powers and forces and might and dominion. I come before you in that name. And I thank you that you accept me, Lord, as a son. Because you're a good father, you've made me a good son. And because of that, I come before you and I declare your word over my life. I declare the truth over this situation that you have made me. This is where I go into Deuteronomy 28. Father, I thank you that I am the head and not the tail. Listen, that is not arrogance. That is agreement. That is agreement with the Bible. And that is letting heaven, hell, and the world know who you are in Jesus Christ. I am the head and not the tail. I thank you, Father, that I am above only and not beneath. Father, thank you that according to your word that I am blessed coming in and I am blessed going out. Father, I thank you that I am blessed in the city and I am blessed in comfort. I am blessed in the country. I am blessed in the field. I thank you, Father, that as the enemy comes at me seven ways, Deuteronomy 28, he must flee, as he comes against me one way, he must flee seven ways. And then I jump over to Isaiah 54. Father, I thank you that according to your word, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. But every tongue that rises against me, you, Father, will show to be in the wrong because that is my inheritance as a child. And if that's not good enough, I jump right over to Ephesians chapter 2. Father, I thank you that I've been raised up together, seated in Christ in heavenly places. And then I jump over to chapter 1. Far above, because I'm in Christ, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. And because all things are under Christ's feet and I'm seated in Christ, all things are under my feet, including this circumstance. Father, I thank you that according to Romans chapter 8, there is no spirit of fear that, Lord, I am, I've been adopted as a son. And I have the spirit of adoption whereby I cry out, Abba, Father. If that isn't good enough, I keep going. Usually by then, I'm ready to bite the end of a crowbar off. I'm just saying. I'm just ready. Just bring it on, devil. Let's go. I've got a super soaker, and I'm going after the gates of hell. Let's go. No fear. Because the word works, but we have to learn to work the word. You want to learn how to work the word in your life? 6.30, Wednesday night, starting this week. Be right here. Bring your Bible and a notebook. We're starting a new series. Come learn. We'll teach you. We'll equip you. We'll equip the saints for the work of ministry, and then you too can go out and bite the end of a crowbar off. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for not just the wow, but the how, Lord, that you give us the privilege of the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and you teach us how to use this sword to fight the good fight of faith which is a fight we win because it's a good fight. So thank you, Lord. We don't have to be afraid of the enemy or fearful in any way of circumstances because we're not under them. We are far above them because we are seated in Christ in heavenly places. Thank you for truth. And Father, we bind the liar, the devil. The Bible says he was a murderer from the beginning, a liar and the father of it because it's his very nature to lie. And we bind the enemy's effects on our life at spewing facts our way that are temporary and subject to change. So, Father, we receive truth and we reject the facts because we are in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for truth, truth that frees us. Father, I pray for every person here that today... Today they will lean into the truth of who they are in Christ, that they used to be this, but now they are this. 
And Father, that truth will begin to lift their spirit, lift their soul, and encourage their heart. Even as your word says, lift up the hands that hang down. Look to the mountain from whence our help comes from. Thank you that you lift us up out of the miry clay and you set our feet upon a rock. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to suffer under a spirit of fear, but we've been given a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind, the ability to think well. We lean into that truth. We embrace truth. We declare truth over our lives and over our families. If you're here this morning and you're ready to take a step over the line to go all in with Jesus, we're here to be with you. I want to invite our prayer team to come on up. They're going to be here after we close. And you can come up and pray with any one of them. All you have to say is, I'm ready, I'm ready to go all in with Jesus. That's, they, they'll know what to do from there. If that's you today, I want you to come forward. If you're here today and you just need to pray for somebody else and something's going on, maybe somebody, a friend of yours, is under the circumstances and you want to pray, then we'll pray with you and stand with you on their behalf. Or maybe your own situation. Maybe it's just time for you to say, you know what? I've been in a defensive posture my whole life as a follower of Jesus. I'm ready to get on the offense. I'm ready to start moving the ball down the field. And I want prayer for that. I want prayer for strength. We're here to pray with you for that as well. Whatever your prayer need is, we are here for you. Father, we love you. I thank you that you love us. Wow. It's astounding. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. We're going to worship as we go out. You feel free to come forward. We're here for you.